Welcome to BNBFC, the only Canadian podcast where you'll get news, banter, and debates across Europe's top five leagues. Hi, I'm Brian, and I'm with Brett here today. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing Graham Potter's future at Chelsea, Marcus Rashford, and Mikel Arteta's performance at Arsenal. So we're going to kick things off with Graham Potter. Obviously, a few bad results got flattened by City in the FA Cup recently. What's his future look like, Brett? Well, I hope his future is actually very, very prosperous. And I think he has a lot of time left with Chelsea. I don't really like the club that much, but they seem to be plagued by having an old owner that got rid of managers very, very quickly. And I think that you can see with Mikel Arteta at Arsenal and Eric Ten Hag at United, that kind of having somebody that can come into an older club and when new ownership is happening or a new regime is happening, kind of work from the ground up and create that new system. It's going to take a lot of time. And uh, Graham Potter has inherited a lot of players that aren't his and aren't really suitable for his system. A lot of players that might think that they know best or you know aren't totally buying into it. And I think it's going to take time for Graham Potter to be able to get the players that he needs. Also, um, lay the foundation of a new system uh, of football, but also new values at the club. And I think that Todd Bowley needs to be a little bit patient um, and get the right people in and let them kind of work instead of um, throwing the baby out with the bathwater very quickly. So what he did at Brighton was a really, really great, um, actually, I would say new Thing that we saw in the Premier League, we didn't really see somebody that successful for that long um, with a quote-unquote mid-table team. We had uh, Brighton overperforming a lot and even selling their best players and still excelling. And you can actually still see the Potter Foundation at that club today, and it's thriving because of it. So I hope they give him a lot of time. Yeah, there's from the Kind of the financial aspect, obviously, he's on a long-term deal that he signed only a few short months ago. So, obviously, it's a huge financial burden if they were to ax him at this point. They would owe him a lot of uh, compensation in that regard. And really, we've talked about Chelsea, where they are in the table. Is the top four finish out of reach? It might be already. Probably is. They do have a lot of injuries right now. We know Reese James is out. And also thinking about this in the sense that Graham Potter has had a, a fairly tough run of fixtures. We've played City a bunch of times, lost to Arsenal, lost to Newcastle. Uh, that Nottingham Forest result, obviously, inexcusable. They did beat Bournemouth just after the break. Uh, did get off to a to a decent start. So, and I, we're, we are used to seeing Chelsea just firing managers easily in the Abramovich era. So. Um, that's something we almost expect from at this point. We need to see what uh, Bowley's got up his sleeve here, but ultimately he was handpicked to replace Tuchel and Bowley should be committed to that, you would think, for the next little while. Um, speaking of giving people a lot of time, which I hope Graham Potter gets, it seems that Marcus Rashford has gotten a lot of time at United and we've always been looking for where his potential is and it seems like Eric Ten Hag is getting the best out of Marcus Rashford and Marcus Rashford is seemingly becoming who we think he is. 
Do you believe it? You know, we've seen this Marcus Rashford a few different times over the last two years. Right when he burst onto the scene, you think, oh, this guy's really good. He scores some goals. Then he kind of floats into obscurity. So as a United fan, of course, you want to feel like, oh, yes, this is it. But I've seen it so many times that Rashford is showing some glimpses of form. And then he falls off significantly. And then we're back at where we started. That being said, Rashford isn't the only player showing improvement under this new system. Dallow's, I think, showing improvement. So there are elements that could lead me to suggest that Rashford might be onto something and that he's moving forward positively and can become that player everyone thought he might have been when he burst onto the scene all those years ago. But I have to be hesitant to, to be really committed to that because I've been burned a lot of times before with a lot of United players. So I'll be holding my reservations at this point. But I'm, of course, hopeful that this new Rashford is here to stay and, and can become a really great Premier League player. I'm really pissed about this question. Uh, I'm an Arsenal fan. And there was lots of talk last year about the possibility of Rashford coming to United and Arteta's a big fan of him. And one of the things that Mikel Arteta has been really good at is finding a way to improve players. He, If you look at the Arsenal team, there's not too many players left in that dressing room that he hasn't um, gotten a little bit more out of. Um, and when there was talks about Marcus Rashford, I was thinking, oh my goodness, this might be a player that Arteta can unlock from United. Um, but Ten Hag, I think him and Arteta have a lot of similarities about their no-nonsense to what they value and what they want to do. You know, there's some negotiation with players, but not when it comes to the core values that he wants the, the squad to uphold. And I don't think this is just a form thing. I think over the past couple of years, Marcus Rashford has prioritized his really good things off the pitch uh, with his foundation and giving back to communities. And I think right now, not that he's not doing that, but I think he's found a manager where he can thrive under a system. You have to remember that the past managers with United have all been negatively minded managers, prioritizing parking the bus, slow build up, counterattacking football. And he's very good at counterattacking, but he's also a really skilled technical player. And as much as you're really good at running down the field very quickly, it's going to weigh on those players that mentally that they can't play the game freely enough he doesn't just seem like a player that wants to run on the counterattack. He wants to be involved more. He wants to take people on. And you can see that in some of his goals this year. And I think this is just a style of football and the young manager. And I do think Marcus Rashford at United uh, for the rest of the season and possibly going into the next season is going to be the man for Manchester United. Well, that's certainly what all United fans are going to be hoping for and it, it is a big call to when Rashford was dropped just a couple of weeks ago uh, for being late to a team meeting and then he comes on in the second half and, and scores the winning goal so obviously there was some um, you know discipline there from Tang Hag's side of things which obviously was successful but I think in, in some ways it alludes to maybe a transition of how things are being done at United because there's no way Scholzkar would ever drop main man Scholzkar would never have dropped Ronaldo last year probably was a little bit detrimental well, it to United. Even, it didn't even seem to bother Rashford that he got uh, had a disciplinary 
um, consequence. So it seems like he is buying. He was motivated that. by that discipline. Exactly. Yeah. So that leads us to be a, a little bit hopeful yeah, about the Mr. future United of Rashford. United, but I, I have been hurt many <laughs> times. Yeah. Well, I I don't know Marcus Rashford. I would love to have him at Arsenal, but. I don't think he's going anywhere now. And I don't think if he does go anywhere, I don't think it's going to be for a cheap, cheap, no. cheap price. I think if he's, he's heading anywhere, it might even be out of, out of England. He's the, because especially those guys that were born into the, into the, into the squad, into, into the Academy, it's tough for them to ever think about kind of playing in a different space. And there's an opening for him to be the man. Like, it's not like he's going to be competing. There's not even, United's not even in the market for somebody that can necessarily compete with Rashford. They're going to put in some depth, but Rashford is seemingly going to be the number one in his position. Yeah, you would hope so. Yeah, we're going forward. So we've talked about Arsenal, obviously Arteta, a big admirer of Marcus Rashford, which leads us into our next discussion. Obviously, Mikel Arteta has been with Arsenal now for quite a few seasons. We have gotten a fairly decent exposure to what he can bring to the team, seeing the ups and downs over the last few years. There's still some people that aren't very optimistic about the things that he's done so far. There's people that maybe are a little bit too overboard in thinking that the success he's brought, that Arsenal are now favorites for the title. Where do you fall on that scale? I actually think that Mikel Arteta is, I think by the general public, I think he's slightly underrated. Um, and I, I just mean that I say that cautiously because I think a lot of Arsenal fans overrate him. I think that the success they've had or he has had with Arsenal and because Arsenal hasn't been on top for a long, long time, that I think a lot of Arsenal fans are getting carried away because we're top of the league after Christmas into the new year and we have five points ahead of second place City. So I think we're just very much being emotional. But I will say that I think by the general public, they don't give Arteta the credit. I think they give him credit, but I don't think it's exactly what he deserves. His antics on the pitch um, in the technical area, I think a lot of people go to and point out rather than talking about what he's achieved or they're cautiously about it, more so than if we talk about his peers, Solskjaer, Lampard, even Graham Potter was kind of a peer to Mikel Arteta when we were talking about him at Brighton. And what Mikel Arteta is doing at a big club such as Arsenal, I feel like if Graham Potter was at Arsenal, he'd be being praised as one of the best managers ever. And you can actually see him being really protected when he went from the quote-unquote mid-table team, even though Brighton is a very good squad and they're up there in the table. I think that um, they protect him a little bit. I don't know if that's um, because of Arteta's past failures with Arsenal or if it's because there's so hype, much hype around him being Pep's student. But I just feel like if you were to switch Potter out with Arteta, they'd be getting more praise because you don't necessarily see everybody attacking Potter at Chelsea. It's given more time. And I, I think he should be given more time. But that's because of the example that Mikel Arteta has shown the rest of the league. You can even see United, who aren't far behind in their process, going with the manager that they want and allowing him, although they have money issues and hopefully the board backs them 
in United's perspective. But the way that he handled Ronaldo, the board could have very easily turned on him. And they, he seems to be allowed to reshape the groundwork. And we were looking at a squad like Arsenal, who had a manager for over 20 years, laid down the foundation and what they value. And then we went to Unai Emery, who they took as just a safety thing because they weren't 100% invested in Mikel Arteta. And even though we've had really lows with Mikel Arteta, he was allowed to bring in the players that he needed to bring in that buy into his values, not just his system. And you can see that the, the core structure of Arsenal, down to the administrators, down to the custodial staff, to the groundspeople, it seems like a more togetherness that all buy into his beliefs. And you can kind of see that slowly happening with United. And if Chelsea want to get back out of 10th place and become part of the top four, like they think they deserve to be, they need to give this guy time. And the reason that our Mikel Arteta is underrated is because he's done all that in three years. And that, that should be sell or that's why he's just un slightly underrated because he had a lot of time to do it, but I just, I don't know if it's because of the obnoxious Arsenal fans that caused people to just not want to give so much credit, but I just find that he's just slightly underrated. He needs to now this season and next season can't be a one-off this season. He doesn't have to win the league, but he should put some pressure on for the title, especially where he is now. He should put some pressure on winning some trophies this year. And he needs to replicate that success into next year. It can't be like a Leicester City season where they do exceptionally well and drop off the next year. So just slightly underrated. He's done a great job. I think people need to give him a little bit more credit because you can't deny what he's turned, what Arsenal were with the likes of Mustafi on defense. Um, Monreal and aging Monreal being the first choice left back. You have to look at, you have, you know, low knees coming in, flopping. So, Cal Arteta, he's my man. Well, I really think about what Arteta's done the last few years. And when you kind of generalize, because there was multiple occasions over the last couple of years where we heard reports that he was one game away from getting the sack. They started off last year, I believe, was it three losses in a row? Yeah. Uh, very bad. So, he's he's been on that route and and it really does maybe serve as an example too and, and as hope for some of these people that are bringing in new managers and and it is an example of when you when you get the players in that that fit within the system or players that the manager wants to bring in that you can make good things happen and that being said some of the touchline antics that i see from arteta on a personal level i disagree with them well with that being said i think it that would be a bias of mine i don't think that overall affects him in his ability to coach. And I think back to when he and Jurgen Klopp were going at it last year, and that was, or two years ago, that was when the COVID was at its height and there's no fans in the stadium and you could just hear everything that was being said. And I was just like, okay, calm down Arteta. So ultimately I think he's, he's done lots of good things. I might not like the style personally. Does he deserve to be in the conversation? Obviously, with Pep and Klopp, absolutely not. Tuchel Conte, he's not even at that at that level yet. But when you think about, like you said, the contemporaries, people that you might have compared him to a few years ago, Brendan Rodgers, Graham Potter, 
He's, he seems to have outperformed them. And I think it takes a certain type of manager to be able to excel at a big club. Because we've seen Brendan Rodgers has managed Liverpool back in 10 or so years ago. Almost took them to the title. Steven Gerrard slipped and pretty much cost, cost Liverpool the title, which I was very happy about. Graham Potter now moving to Chelsea. But I think when you think about those managers, obviously you need tactical ability at any level. But you get into a big club, you're seeing more egos, you're seeing bigger wages, players with more influence. So being able to navigate that. So because I do think Rogers, Arteta, Graham Potter, they're all tactically good coaches. But I think man management comes into a bigger in a bigger way. Uh, which is why you see why some managers might not be able to make that jump from a mid-table team where they have a lot of success. David Moyes is another example. Not great at United. I have a question for you just on, to elaborate on your point on this because they're trying to do manager of the month right now. I'm not sure if they announced who, who won it yet, but Arteta and Ten Hag are both on there. And they're, they're actually, I want to stretch it to manager of the season so far and just because Arteta is top of the league with Arsenal, I don't necessarily think that guarantees him top spot. But how would you compare Arteta to Ten Hag's performance with the expectations by both teams and the way that Arteta had to handle Aubameyang? Does Eric Ten Hag get a little bit of a boost on the way that he's handled United this year with adversary, adversity, Marcus Rashford disciplinary, and especially the way that he handled Ronaldo? I'd like to kind of take that back to the start of the year because when you think about expectations that was laid out for both of those clubs for the start of the year, top four was what both teams were hoping to to get into. So in that aspect, Arsenal have overperformed uh, Manchester United. That being said, Ten Hag being his first year on the job, kind of having that transition period into a new country, and we knew that Arteta had already been at Arsenal for two years plus two plus years before kind of going into this year and having had the opportunity to have several transfer windows to bring in players that work for him. So I think on the whole, if you were to look at the expectations, Arsenal may have had slightly higher expectations going into this new season, but I think they've beaten them by a bigger margin than United have. And I think the only reason United are in the top four race right now is we've seen, we all, I think, expected a little bit more of Conte and Tottenham this year. I think we all, of course, expected Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool to be playing better than they have Chelsea. Those are teams that were perennially around around the top four. So it's a little bit opportunistic that United is in, in that position right now, um, just, I think, due to some of the other teams not playing up to their satisfaction or how good they can be but in short Arteta has outperformed to a higher degree than Ten Hag so far this season so uh we're done with our topics and what we like to do is we like to end off kind of the segment before our predictions to do something that we call stoppage time we're going to have some quick fire questions for each other going back and forth um on each and these questions are going to be on the line of future things, some predictions on transfers, uh, and other things like that. So the first question I have for you, Brian, is, is Christian Eriksen the best dollar-for-dollar signing of the summer? 
Well, we consider that they got him for free. I think that makes him a strong candidate. And and I think it's always very good if you can get, because we know Christian Eriksen can play in the Premier League. He had several solid years with Spurs. So we know that he is a proven Premier League player and he was always relatively consistent. He was, he was never seemed like he went and didn't go. He didn't have his high of up and downs maybe, but he was always a consistent performer. Of course, there's some doubts um, just with him. Um, with that medical episode, obviously, we don't know the extent to which which he can play. But right now, it looks like he's he's been a great signing. And, and when you think of that signing from a free perspective on a free transfer, I think it is one of the better ones. Well, I, I actually couldn't agree more. I, I don't think that you can get much better than a free transfer and the playmaking capabilities that that guy has shown. All right. Speaking of playmakers, obviously, James Madison, Lester Mann has been linked to Lots of different clubs at every different window, it seems like. Where's his question. best fit? I hate this question. Hate it. Pains me to say this. But I think his best best fit is Tottenham. I think if he goes to Spurs, he takes them to where they need to be. We Spurs have zero creativity. When we think about the best midfields in the Premier League right now, we're looking at City, we're looking at Arsenal, we're looking at United, um, just as far as the starting eleven. And when you have Arsenal, when you look at how much Odegaard dictates the creativity and setting up the offense, when we look at Christian Eriksen, we look at um, Bruno Fernandes, you know, we look at the quality of Casemiro and what he can bring up to disrupt people, just like Partey on Arsenal, but also the world-class goals he's scoring. You look at City, there's everybody's been seeing this for a while. Kevin De Bruyne is the best passer in the Premier League today. And when you look at um, Spurs, not only do they play this back five system that's very negative, but they also have basically three midfielders that also play defense. Like they brought in Basuma, who is a very good disruptor of the ball. He's not somebody that's going to advance the play the same way an Odegaard will, the same way a Bruno Fernandes will, the way that Ozil used to, the way that Kevin De Bruyne does. And then you see the other players that they want to bring in. They were linked with Frank Kessie, same profile. It just seems like um, Conte doesn't think that a um, 4-3-3 is anything but seven defenders and three forwards. So not that he plays a 4-3-3, but he doesn't seem to like the creativity, and that's what they're lacking. You have one of the best strikers in the game today, and you have one of the best uh, wingers in Sun on that team, and nobody can unleash them. So you bring in a guy like James Madison, who's lethal at the free kicks. You bring in um, a guy that it has the creativity, and he can play on the wing as well. That would unlock them, I think. And I don't want it to happen, but I think that's his best fit. Yeah, it's interesting, the Conte mold of a player. So there's ultimately, you have to think about what is... Madison's best fit and would Conte want him? That's the big question. We, we don't know. Absolutely. Okay, so the next question is the supercomputer just predicted City to uh, retain the title. Do you think it's going to happen or do you think Arsenal can do it? Here's the thing. I was absolutely perplexed. I checked on my phone after City played Everton. I looked at their team sheet and I thought, what is going on here? And I think Pep's the kind of coach that can – overcoach because that was a home game to Everton. He can just send out the world-class players that he has 
with very little tactical instruction and just kind of go with the status quo. And I still think easily pick up three points. So we see uh, Pep having that tendency to overcoach, to overanalyze. We saw, that, we saw that in the Champions League, why he did not play a holding midfielder, really came back to haunt them. Obviously, City have a better team, quality for quality on ours. And I don't think anyone's denying that. And the City is the type of team that can go on a run and maybe only drop a handful of points for the rest of the season. If they do that, I think they'll win. But right now, it is so too close to call. Uh, Arsenal playing very well. But I think City might just about have enough to get over the line as long as Pep sticks with what he knows and what has been successful for him in the past. I, I I agree. I think City will be too much. It's not just necessarily about when Arsenal and City play each other, but I think Arsenal are more susceptible to slip up, especially when the pressure gets on against those smaller teams. Pep is an enemy of itself, which could always happen, but you just look at the quality on City, and it's hard to argue against them as much as I love Arsenal. Yeah. All right. So as we come into the final portion of the podcast, we like to do some predictions for upcoming games. And as far as our clubs go, Manchester United and Arsenal this upcoming weekend is two of the biggest fixtures on our calendars. We have the Manchester Derby and the North London Derby. Give me your predictions, Brett. Okay, well, I actually think that um, City and uh, United uh, in the past have always seemed to favor United. If you look at their results, it just seems to be a game that United are ready for. And although I think that United have improved under Ten Hag, I really do think that City's just going to be too much in this game. I think that um, the reason that United have won in the past is because of their low block counterattacking uh, system. And I just really think that Ten Hag is going to play at them like a regular team. And unfortunately, I just think that favors um city and when you look at the matchups i don't know if martinez is back but you just look at um holland being in the box with five foot nothing martinez and you gotta wonder how is anybody gonna stop this man well and especially a ten hag is indeed favored luke shaw to harry Maguire the last couple games so and, and Varane's a good defender, but on a physical side of things, he he's, he can't compete to the same level. So you could absolutely see Haaland having a having a field day against that defense. And, and I do worry, of course, United have had some good results in this post-World Cup period. But have they really played a top or even a mid-table side? They played Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth, I believe. Everton aren't a great side this year. So they could be in for a rude awakening. I'm going to say 3-1. Manchester City. I was going to say three one as well, and I think that's that's generous on United, actually, in my opinion. North London Derby, the best derby in today's Premier League, most emotion, most intensity, and the most um, unpredictable in the sense that form goes out the window more so than any other derby, in my opinion. What do you think about that game? You know, I, I like Arsenal with every coming day. I think they have a better team mentality. And a team mentality, I think, is very important when it comes to these derby games. Form's obviously very important too. But you see Emile Smith-Rowe coming back. Arsenal boy through and through has made a big impact in these, in these fixtures in the past. 
Spurs not look like a great team. Even Conte coming out recently, not too long ago, and saying top six places probably are ceiling with what we've got now right now. So how does that motivate you um, as an as a Tottenham player when you hear your manager say that? But at the same time, Son and Kane can turn any game around in an instant if they're on if they're on form. So that's something Arsenal need to be particularly wary about. Um, for me, I just think that this game, if it was at the Emirates, I would definitely be picking Arsenal. You can't argue with the results that Arsenal get at home in general right now, but also the record at the Emirates against Tottenham is very, very good. But this is at Scheidhart Lane. And the thing is, it does not matter about form when it comes to these games, is you have a team like Arsenal who have a better 11, in my opinion, but you have a couple of players on the team that when you you have the emotion and stuff like that, you um, when you have the emotion of the game is they can make mistakes and get cards. So what I'm going to say with that is, and also with a team struggling, when Arsenal goes against a team that's struggling, that team gets into form by facing Arsenal. I think this game's going to be a draw 2-2. 2-1 Arsenal for me. Well, and that ends our uh, podcast for today. Thanks for joining us on BF- BNBFC, and we hope to see you in the next episode.